We've uh, been in this uh, particular portion of a great little letter in the Bible uh, called the Letter to the Ephesians. Paul wrote it uh, to a church that he had spent his most time in, 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 in his, his travels as a missionary. He spent uh, the most time in Ephesus uh, developing and building the church there, and so uh, fond of them, excited for them, saying all kinds of amazing things to them through the first four chapters. And now we've gotten into this portion where he's kind of moved from uh, encouraging them and expressing his prayers for them and talking to them about theology and the things that they should be believing about God to the things that they need to be doing as a result of their faith. And uh, he's, he's talked a, a great deal in terms of uh, clothing. He said you've got to put off or take off uh, these portions of your old life and put on instead the new. I, uh, I've started running again, which is a, a great exercise. Hey, uh, no pun intended there. Um, but uh, I, uh, I, I come to the church a lot of times when I'm running, and I have the clothes that I'm going to wear on Saturday night service uh, in the bag like this. Anybody carry your? These things are great, these little bags. Uh, but then I'll take the clothes off that I ran in and throw them in the bag so I can take them home and, and wash them. I actually have these. These are yesterday's sweaty clothes um, uh, from my run. And they are particularly sweaty. This was a particularly wrong, long run, and so I'm not going to wring it out on the floor here. But, uh, but I don't know if you can tell. They're very damp with my stank, all right? Um, and so I thought we'd start the morning off here just by seeing if anybody wanted to wear these while I was preaching. Does anybody want to put these on? Anybody want to come up here and just kind of don my sweaty... <laughs> Rob does? You're weird, Rob. Thanks. Uh, I was worried that someone might say yes in one of these services. Now, no one in their right mind would uh, want to put on someone else's workout clothes after they've been running in them or sweating in them, right? In fact, when I, does anybody do this? I'll come up behind Eleanor every once in a while after I've been running and, and try to steal a kiss. You may want to guess how that goes. Right? There's like a force field. She can almost sense me as I'm nearing her, and she's like, do not touch me in that. Go clean up. If you, you know, want to kiss me, you got to, well, she's usually gracious, but it's usually one of these, right? <laughs> Don't get too close. Yeah, it's because this is gross, right? Uh, if, I, if I woke up tomorrow morning and I just kind of left these in the bag and I came in here and she, you know what? Those were so comfortable on Saturday. I think I'm going to wear them all day Monday and go through all my appointments and stuff like that. Uh, you would think, that's crazy. That's, that's just not how we do, and you'd be right. It's not how we do. Then why is it so easy for us as followers of Jesus Christ to go back to the things that were the nasty, sweaty, filthy parts of our old life before him and just kind of walk around in those things all the time. And never seek to be rid of those things. If you and I are um, constantly given into the flesh and constantly given into the, the things that we've been saved from, it's the same deal. It doesn't make any sense, Christian speaking wise. And it's something that we, by the grace of God, don't have to do. See, uh, we've been freed from sin. We're still prone, still very capable. Testify, anybody? But it's not how we have to live. And today's a message, one more time, about us being free from some particular sins, sins that Paul brings up in his writings to his friends in Ephesus. Sins that if we give them up, if we put them off, if we take them off, it'll change our lives. It'll change the lives of the people that we live with and love. 
It'll make a difference in his church, God's church. If, if we can just, by God's grace and in his strength, be done with the old self, the old stuff that we need to put off, then it, it changes things. For the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of centered in this back half of Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 22 it says, to put off our old selves, which belong to our former manner of life, and, and, and that is corrupt uh, through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, verse 23, and then to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness that is him. Yeah, uh, every day we get to wake up and, and get dressed, right? We get to wake up and decide what we're going to wear. And it's the same thing in a spiritual realm. We, we get to decide if I'm going to put on the old self or put on the new. If I'm going to seek to renew my mind and honor God in how I live or just kind of live and do what the world does. When we put on the new self, the, the, the life that we've been given in Christ, we are positioned to live out our chief end. To fulfill the purpose that God created us for. We, we talked about this last week. Remember the uh, Westminster Catechism asked this first question? It says, what is the chief end of man? And the, and the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And, and lots of people love that to enjoy him forever part. In fact, that's why we got into the family. That's why we got into the God thing. Hey, you know, How's this going to benefit me? I want to enjoy my life and benefit from being a part of God's family. We, we, we get in for that, and, uh, and maybe sometimes when things don't go so well, we kind of flake and flee and leave, right? But, but that's, that's, that's the, uh, the result of us accomplishing the first part of this phrase, glorifying God. The only way to truly enjoy God forever is to be glorifying him with your life. And, and, and I'm not talking about obedience that brings betterment to you. It's a lot of times what people obey for. If I obey, my life will be better. That's fine as a, a byproduct, but that's not the point of obedience. Some of you say, well, you know, I know that, Mark. My obedience is to make life better for the people around me. I'm here to, to serve and to, and to better the lives of those that I live with. That's great, too. Don't get me wrong, but that's not the reason you obey. You and I live for Jesus. We seek to honor God in this new life that he's given us because it's what we created. We were created to do that. We were created to bring him glory. And to honor him above all things and everything else is just a blessed byproduct of us living out our chief aim. Unfortunately, sin has made uh, this chief end of man, this chief aim of ours, uh, not our default setting. We are bereft, uh, swallowed up by sin. Uh, it is still, even in our redeemed states, um, what we kind of turn to far too often. Uh, but we need to understand that when we do this, when we dishonor God, uh, we have been given by him in our relationship with him the capability to invoke emotion from him. We can either grieve God or bring him joy. We can raise his countenance and cause him to smile upon us. Or we can incur his wrath. That's why Paul wrote this in the middle of these uh, verses that we've been studying. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Each one of these actions uh, that he's imploring the Ephesians to not do. He says, listen, man, if you do these things, they grieve the heart of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Instead, bring him joy is the implication. 
Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I didn't cover that last week. Let me just cover that last phrase. When you think of being sealed for the day of redemption, is that a positive for you? should be, right? Because here's the deal. Uh, Even though you and I blow it and sin and dishonor God all the time, we are sealed by our faith in the Spirit of God. We can't be plucked from his hand. We we can't out-sin his grace. Uh, He has sealed us for the day of redemption. The day that you and I die, I pray it's not any day soon, or the day that Jesus comes back. Whenever this life ends, we uh, understand that we are guaranteed uh, to be sealed, to be protected by, provided for by the Holy Spirit. God is for us. Who can be against us? Uh, God shall never leave us or forsake us. These are great promises, right? So it is a positive, but I think it's also, and I, as I studied it this week, see it this way more, it's a warning, it's, a, it's an admonition. In fact, if you take uh, this command, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, that's a negative command. Don't do this. Stop doing this. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you have been sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption. You know, back in the old, uh, uh, the old days when, when Paul was writing these things, seal had lots of different meanings, like you can have a seal on a gasket in your car, and you can have a seal that goes, oh, oh. you know, there's lots of different meanings for the word seal. But, but back then, the word seal uh, didn't just mean kind of covered or protected or, or surrounded. It also meant uh, uh, it was representative of a bill of sale. Like back then, they weren't handing out receipts like we get at our cash registers. They didn't get emails, you know, from Lowe's that said, I bought this. Um, they would actually, uh, when, when, a, when a business had been done, uh, when, a, when a payment had been made, there would be a seal, a stamp that would basically symbolize paid in full. And so when Paul uh, writes here, I think he's saying, hey guys, it doesn't even make sense that you and I would choose to grieve the Holy Spirit. We have been bought with a price. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a, a crimson stain, and Jesus washed me white as snow. That's a hymn, I think. Just tumbled right out of my head. But that's what the Christ life is. It's a life of thank you. It's a life of gratitude. It's a life of understanding. I am not my own. I am bought with a price by the sacrifice of God's Son, so of course I'm not going to grieve him. I'm going to live my life in gratitude to him and seek him to glorify him with every choice that I make. Last week we talked about some of the things that we're told to put off and, and some of the things that we're meant to put on in the, the place. In Ephesians 4.25, we were told to put off falsehood. Don't lie. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Lying uh, messes up your life. It messes up the life of the church that you're a part of. It messes up your families. It's just, it's bad. Don't do it. It's not what God calls you to do. God is not a liar. You shouldn't lie as well. Instead, be purveyors of truth. Speak the truth in love. He said, don't be angry. I mean, be angry for, for righteous reasons and for the things that displease the heart of God, but don't be angry for yourself. Don't be pridefully angry with those who aren't serving you and worshiping you like you think you deserve. Be angry and do not sin, it says. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it and give no opportunity to the devil. If you let anger live in your life, you are opening the door for our adversary to come in. He said, listen, don't, don't be a cheater. Don't be a thief. Don't be someone who steals. Don't, 
Don't try to go out there and in your greed enhance and improve your life at the cost of others' uh, you know, lives themselves, at the cost of them getting what they need. That's why he says this. He says, hey, man, uh, those of you who steal, uh, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I love that last part of there. It's not go and work honestly. Give a hard day's work. You know, do your very best whenever you go and do something so that you can have all that you need. It's not what it says. It says work for, for everything that you have honestly and in an upright integrity, uh, you know, in, up, in upright integrity so that God can use you to bless others with what they need. Some good stuff. Today we want to cover a couple more. How do we bring glory to God and, and not grief? Two more things today as we go through these verses, starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. We, we, we need to understand that we need to lose the bad words and keep communication clean. Everybody grab this. This is your tongue. Grab your tongue. Some of you are like, I'm not doing that, Mark. It's okay. I challenge you, though, get in your car as you're driving home and try to talk to your family holding this thing. I don't You just can't. Because this is the part of your body that God gave you so that you can take your lungs and the air in your lungs and blow it over your voice box, which kind of modulates the sound coming out of your face, and the tongue flaps so that words form. In, in, in speech, everybody understands that language is us actually living out uh, the, the, the image of God that we all share. God told us that he created us. He said, let us create uh, man in our image. We're all created in the image of God. Did you know that? And one of the ways that we bear God's image is that we're creators ourselves. We're able to create, you know, incredible works of art and engineering and all that stuff, but on a daily basis, as soon as you open this, you're creating. Like right now, I'm creating the sermon. By the grace of God, I pray it's something you need to hear. But I'm making it up as I go. Thoughts are hitting here and they're coming out here, right? Now, I have the power with this uh, to create good or evil. I can, with my words, do incredible healing and grace, uh, gracious acts, or I can tear down and destroy just by saying some stuff. And in the age we live in, just by texting some stuff, just by typing a few things. Paul says it this way to the Ephesians. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That word uh, corrupting there is the Greek word sapros. It, uh, essentially was used of uh, describing uh, foods that would go bad. So uh, uh, a spoiled fish, a saproth ichthus, was a, was a rotten fish. Those stink. Anybody been around one of those? Nasty stuff, filthy. Um, uh, fruit, you know, uh, uh, fruit that, that would, would rot and, and go bad. Uh, it was called uh, sapros, rotten fruit. And so you'd, uh, anybody ever done this? You pick up a, what looks like a beautiful apple and you bite into it and there's a worm and some bruises and all this, ugh, right? Then uh, you've understood what corruption here means. It means uh, filthy, putrid, uh, it, and it's here used of speech that is dishonest, unkind, or vulgar, or ultimately speech that leads to the harm of another person. That, that, that throws the door open, doesn't it? Because that, that's all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's, 
cussing at someone, angrily yelling at someone, all that kind of stuff. Sure, maybe the obvious things, but uh, it's also sarcasm that goes too far, which is a hard one for me because I am fluent in sarcasm. English is my second language. I love to have fun with people and joke and I think that's great community building stuff if it's done well and everybody's on the same page, but sarcasm or joking or, or uh, snide remarks, they can quickly become injurious and harm the hearts of the people that they're directed at. We can speak ill of someone that's called slander. We can spread unsubstantiated rumors. That's called gossip. Now, we can be so uh, bent uh, in anger and hatred towards people or groups of people that the only way we can speak of them is uh, in uh, angry, invective tones. Uh, that's just not how we should live. That's corrupt talk. Now, some of the church fathers, a guy named St. Augustine, uh, they, they took this verse very seriously. They actually uh, took to posting signs in their home so that when guests came over, they'd understand what the expectations were for the communication in, in their homes. Uh, Augustine had a, a sign over his dining room table. It said, uh, he who speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. How's that for a shaper of the evening conversation, huh? Think people are going to read that at old Augie's house and be like, oh, I'm going to have to find someone else to talk about. Jesus had a lot to say about the power of our words. He says in Luke chapter 6, he said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Agreed? The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Still with me? All right, so give me an example, Jesus. What do you mean? For out of the abundance of the heart, his what? His mouth speaks. Hey, you ever want to run a check on where someone's heart is? Get them talking. Listen. Because if they talk long enough, and get comfortable enough, they'll show you, they'll reveal what's in their heart just by the things that they say. Some of you are like, I don't need to give this one person any time at all. I know right off the bat. <laughs> but all of us, we're susceptible to be, being dark in our hearts and it invariably comes out in, we, in our speech. Here, here's hopefully what you're picking up as I'm putting this down. Uh, basically what I'm telling you is that if you and I are careless with what we say, then we are saying, I don't care to the ones that we are speaking to. Put another way, if you and I are careless with what we say, we are saying that I don't care about the ones that I'm talking about. Jesus had a brother, his name is James. He wrote in the back of your Bibles these words uh, in his letter. He said, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That can happen on a Sunday morning. You come in here and you sing all the songs, get all worshiped up, right? God bless you, brothers, on the way out. God bless you, sisters. Fare thee well. And you get behind the wheel of your car. And you're coming down your parking lane, and the people coming this way across the front of our building aren't letting you in. And then you get up to the cones where our parking attendant is, and he told you to hold on because this one car's coming this way, and you've had it. And so as, ha as has happened, 
at our church too many times. You roll down the window and you let the volunteers who get here before the sun comes up on Sunday mornings and stand out there in 100-degree temperatures so that you can get in and out of our parking lot safely, you let them know what you think. And then roll up your window and head home. Yeah, an hour goes by. One minute, praise to God. The next minute, cursing someone made in his image. James says, verse 10, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Instead, as we go back to Ephesians, we should put off or let go of our corrupting talk and, and instead say things uh, in a way that uh, they bring good for building up, uh, that they, they fit the occasion that they may give grace to those who hear. And that's what our words should do, they should build. Uh, I've shared with you some of my home um, construction projects, they almost never go right. But I have learned this one thing, if you're gonna build something, you need the right materials, you need the right stuff. If you build cheap, you get cheap. And I, I remember the first time I was building something with someone and I, I went to buy, he said, I need eight two by fours. And, and so I went to the Home Depot and I got eight two by fours and I brought him back and he says, you gotta go back. And I said, what are you talking about? That's eight two by fours, that's exactly what you want. And he said, come here. And he started holding the boards up and he started looking down the board. Can you see how that board twists? It's like, yeah, totally. He says, okay, if you got a twisted board, you got a twisted whatever we're building. So I need you to take all those boards back, they should have never been on the pile anyway, but take all those boards back and have someone in Home Depot who understands what I'm talking about help you pick out eight boards and then bring those back. But he was right. If you want to build good stuff, you've got to start with good stuff. And if you want to build people up, you've got to speak words that will build them up. Good for building means saying the right words that bring out the greatest good in someone. And I'm, I'm not saying just, you know, rosy talk. It's all encouragement and fluff and butterflies. And I'm saying that that's good, be an encouraging person. But sometimes the, the, the good that you need to bring out in someone will come from you speaking truth in love that might not seem so encouraging. Who's had those conversations? But whatever you say, it should always be for the betterment of the people you're saying it to. You should do it as fits the occasion. It's all about timing and nuance. You might be saying the truth, but not in love. You might be saying the truth, but not at the right time. You gotta, you gotta be careful with your words. Our words should be limited to those things that give grace. Grace is this great theme of the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter two, it says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not about your works. Isn't that great? It's a gift that God has given us. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, listen, the entire reason the gospel has come to you is because of the grace of God. Apart from his grace, you don't even know him through Christ. In chapter 4, he says, listen, everybody in the church has been given gifts by God's grace to edify the body of Christ. And grace is all over the book, so no wonder when it comes here to our words, he says, you know what, your words those creations that God allows you to make as being a bearer of his image, those words should be creations of his grace. It should bring grace to those who hear. Proverbs says it this way. 
There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If you and I are going to bring God glory and not grief, if we're going to be able to live in this new life as he's called us to, we have to put off the bad words, the words that harm. We, we have to be careful with what we say and put in their place words that build and bring grace. Finally this morning, we need to lose the bitterness and choose to be kind. And let that soak in for a second because some of you are like, yeah, people around here totally need to lose their bitterness. There are folks in here that probably need to hear this part. And you're just going to let this kind of skip over your head because you think, I'm not bitter. Run a check. Like the prayer uh, of the Old Testament psalmist, see if there be any wicked way in me. Run a check. Might be someone a little ticked off at, bitter at. I was praying yesterday before I preached this last night, and, and his face came across the screen. And I was like, oh, that's him. All right. Lord, free me from my bitterness against that man. That's what it says uh, in Ephesians 4.31. It says, let all bitterness, and then five other things, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's six things. Why did I just say bitterness? Well, I think bitterness is kind of the root of the other five. Bitterness is this word that means sour, like sourpuss. It's the attitude of uh, being crotchety or cranky. You're angry, bitter, uh, over some offense. Who's been offended in life? Anybody ever been offended by someone else? Who's been hurt by someone else in life? Anybody? Okay, some of you back there, I'm glad you've had a perfect life. Okay, uh, but the rest of us have been offended. And when we have those offenses which happen, by the way, you've offended other people, right? But when we have been offended by someone else, we have a choice of what we do with that. We can either, uh, you know, give love, which covers over a multitude of sins. We can... Uh, seek uh, to restore relationship, not let the sun go down on our anger. We can uh, be ready to forgive. We'll talk about that in a second. Or we can get mad and start just holding on to that hurt in bitterness and allow it to control our lives. When we allow bitterness to take root in us, uh, things like wrath become possible. Wrath is this uh, sudden outburst. Uh, It's this Um, boiling, gurgling anger inside that uh, with the right provocation just comes out and people are like, whoa, cowboy, what was that? It it happens on golf courses. I golf. This is a pitching wedge. It's used around the greens to get the ball from uh, the the longer grass onto the short grass of the green. I don't know how to hit it. I'm not bragging, but I've gotten better in the other parts of the golf game. I can't hit this thing. And there is nothing in my life, there is no object, one object in my life that brings more anger to me than this golf club. I'm not kidding. And it'll happen. I'll, I'll hit the first bad shot and I'll be fine and I'll be speaking, you know, praise and grace and glory. Thank you, Lord. And then I'll hit the next one and I'll start to get mad. And then on the 10th hole, this past Friday, I was playing with some of my friends and uh, I, hit a, I, I hit a chip. I was 15 feet from the green. When I hit the, when I hit the ball, I was 40 yards from the, from the cup. And that was it. I lost it. Ah! And I helicoptered this thing 
far, far away. That's rage. That's wrath. It's this outburst that some of you are far too familiar with in your home, that uh, your husband or your wife or your kid resorts to because deep inside they have a root of bitterness that produces that in them. Anger is uh, a word that's uh, used here. Uh, it's, it's the Greek word orge, and it basically means um, uh, kind of a simmer. So it doesn't manifest itself in clubs thrown, but it just kind of uh, lives beneath that fake smile you're putting on. Clamor. Clamor is, is, uh, is, is audible, verbal uh, outbursts, like on Jerry Springer's show. Don't tell me you haven't watched it. Come on. You're just waiting for the people, the guests, to start yelling at each other and going at each other, right? Uh, uh, that is a form of entertainment now in our reality show world. Let people just get so mad at each other that they lose their ever-loving minds, and it's all bleeps and beeps, and I'm so glad our politicians haven't sunk to that. I'm so that glad that Christians don't resort to that. Slander. Get this if you don't hear anything else I said today. Whenever you slander someone, slander is basically speaking evil over someone. It's, it's accentuating their worst. Here's what's happening. You're really just functioning from your bitterness. You hate that person. You are so angry with that person on such a level that you want everybody else to hate them with you. And so anytime you talk about them, did you know what he did? Did you know that this is what I've been living with as his wife for all these years? Now, it may be true. I'm not, I'm not negating the fact that it's true, but if that's all you bring up, spouses, about each other is the negative, you are bitter towards your spouse and you're slandering their character to those that you know. He finishes and he says, along with all malice, it's almost like this... Uh, last added phrase, and, and, and basically malice, just so you know, malice is this Greek word, kakia, and uh, it basically means the end of all things, the, the ill will uh, uh, that, that ends in, in, in choices that alter your life and the lives of those that you hold bitterness against. Uh, there's these two sons early in the Bible, Cain and Abel, heard about them? Uh, uh, Cain uh, and Abel made Cain to give sacrifices. Abel gave a sacrifice that God uh, accepted. Uh, 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 excuse me, Abel gave the uh, sacrifice that God accepted, and Cain did not. Anybody remember this? And the root of bitterness uh, took to Cain's heart, and he seethed with anger to the point that he murdered his brother in malice. It went the full bore, it went the full length, and it altered his life ended his brother's life and changed the first family forever. Any of these manifestations of bitterness grieve the heart of your God and they block the grace of your God and keep it from flowing through you to the world that desperately needs it. That's why the writer of Hebrews says this. It says, see to it that no one fails to abstain or obtain, excuse me, the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Instead, verse 32 of Ephesians 4, as we finish, 
Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgive one another. I don't have time to preach a message on uh, the, the, the whole understanding of forgiveness. It's a transaction. Certainly there's the forgiver and the forgiven. There needs to be confession and repentance for true to for forgiveness to uh, exist. But certainly everybody should live in life in kindness. Tenderhearted means compassion. You're, 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 you're willing to have pity on another soul, knowing that there but for the grace of God go you. That you're ready to forgive. You live eager to forgive and restore relationship. Not wallow in your bitterness. In all of these things, I'll give you a sneak peek to next week's text. We are to be imitators of God as beloved children. Chips off the old block. Looking just like the Father who created us for himself and for his glory. Not once, but if you are in Christ, you have been created twice and rescued from your old self, given the grace to put off who you were without Christ and to put in its place <laughs> him, to be an imitator of him. So uh, I wanted to finish our, our time this morning with an opportunity to do that. Some of you walked in and saw laundry baskets and were like, what is going on? Well, when I'm done with my workout clothes, there's a laundry room in my house. I don't know if you got a hamper. Uh, the dirty clothes go in there. They go through the wash and dryer. And then I put on the clean versions of them. Are you wearing some this morning? Okay. Then, then here's the deal. It's the same thing with us and our old self. We, we have to... Uh, initiate a change. We have to say, God, that's what I've allowed to happen in my life up until now. But today, right now, I understand that that's old me. I want to live in new me. I want to look like you, God, and be an imitator of you. So I'm going to put this off. I'm going to take this off, and I'm going to put you on. So I, I gave you T-shirts. I couldn't afford to give everybody an actual T-shirt. That would have been way too much money. So I printed you one on this piece of paper. Actually, I didn't. There were some really great people who helped this happen. Everybody grab the T-shirt, hold it up. Everybody got one of these? We put pens on your chair so you don't have an excuse. Here's what I want you to do. In the past couple weeks, we've talked about these things that Paul implores Ephesus to put off. Lies, wrong anger, theft, wrong words. We talked about that today. And bitterness. I know you could put every one of those on your shirt. Okay? I would prefer that you just pray and ask God, which, which one do you want me to work on now? Which one is the one that is the most grievous, the most grip on my life? Give me a sense of what that is. You pray, sense what God is telling you, and then you write that down on your shirt. Go ahead. sake of time, here's what I'm going to have you do. I want you to look at that, and if you'll pray this prayer with me, I'll just say this prayer after me. Father, I want to be free of this. By your grace, I will be. All right. Now, here's what I do when I throw my laundry in the wash. I crumple it all up, all right? And then I take it to the hamper. 
So here's what you're going to do. There's a basket there, 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 and there for the fronts, okay? Your section goes there, your section goes here. Everybody got it? In the back, if you're in the very back of the back rows, there's two baskets up against those back walls. You can go to those. But if you're here in this middle part or in the front, there's baskets at the crosses and one here in the middle. Don't wait in long lines or just go to the one closest to you. We're going to try to do this so you can go to lunch. But here's the deal. Before you go to lunch, can you allow God to change your life? Before you get to lunch, can you experience the freedom that God sent his son to die for you to have? I, want, I don't want you to just do what I'm telling you to do because it's what you got to do so you can get out of here. I want you to do this because you're serious about living the new life that Jesus has given you. So you take this old thing, and then here's the deal. You can't just take off what's old and stop there. you got to put on something that's new. So at every one of these baskets, you're going to find some of these cards that are going to represent the opposites of these things that we've talked about. Instead of lies, you can grab the card that says truth. Instead of wrong anger, you can grab the card that says peace. Instead of theft, honest work. Instead of wrong words, good words. Instead of bitterness, kindness. On the back of them, you'll see the verses that we preached through the last couple weeks. Here's what I want you to do with those cards. Go back to your seat. Don't leave. Go back to your seat and let me pray for you one more time. Okay? And then take those cards, and you got a dashboard in your car. These cards are going to work perfect just sitting right there so that every morning when you get in your truck or your car and you head to work, you can pray and say, God, on Sunday, I ask you to free me from the corrupt talk that comes out of my face. Give me in its place your good words that bring grace to those who hear. That's your prayer. And that's how change happens. There's no hopping on one leg to get rid of sin. There's no incantation that you can, you just pray it and you submit to God in it and you are free from it as he gives you grace. So we're gonna move. Everybody to your basket, everybody grabbing your card.
God who forgives, a God who loves, a God who is patient, a God who seals us in his spirit and provides for us the grace and strength to change so that he gets the glory he deserves. If you're holding a card, uh, would you put it up in, in the air with me? We're just going to pray a quick prayer commitment, and we're just saying, saying, God, this is what I want to become. This is, this is who I want to be. And I know that because I am in Christ, this is possible through his grace and strength. Let me pray this over you. God, we are holding up all these cards. We, we could all hold all five of these cards. Uh, we are um, so prone to wander. But Lord, by your grace, you have given us new life in Jesus. And, and as we have walked in our old clothes for way too long in too many situations, we, we just want to be free this morning from the power of the old life. We want to want to walk away from the sins that hold us back and our families back and our church back. Uh, We want to be imitators of you, God, to bring you glory and not grief. So would you, uh, by your grace and in your strength, bring these qualities, these characteristics that we hold up, would you bring them uh, into reality in our lives? May we embody you live as you do, so that you get the glory you deserve, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In your dashboards, on your mirrors, praying about it daily, God bless you as you go. Let's live the new life for the glory of God. Sing